Masks are back. This measure is needed to ensure that these indoor settings are as safe as they can be. The rising case counts that make face coverings mandatory again, expelling COVID from schools. And we think we're in a very different situation this year. What teachers think of the new rules and BC universities considering vaccine passports. The rapid attack on a new fire in West Kelowna, plus. The longer the seasons go on and the, the mental and physical stress add up. What BC Wildfire is doing to take care of exhausted crews. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Starting tomorrow, you will once again be required to wear a face mask in all indoor public spaces. Dr. Bonnie Henry made the surprise announcement as COVID case numbers keep climbing. Aaron MacArthur is live with more on the decision and reaction to it. Aaron. Yeah, Chris, if you want to go to a grocery store, a mall, city hall, restaurants, bars, the gym, you're going to have to put one of these on. The provincial health officer says another layer of protection to keep us all safe. A lot can change in a week. On the 19th, a maskless Bonnie Henry happy to watch the Lions lose at BC Place. Now the provincial health officer announcing masks once again, mandatory province-wide indoors. We've heard from many, many people about the importance of continuing to, to pay attention to these basic measures in our communities, in those public spaces. Despite the pleas of some frontline physicians that the province was moving too quickly, the mask mandate was rescinded July 1st when BC moved to stage three of the reopening plan. It was clear some people more than happy to ditch their face coverings. Now those same healthcare professionals are wondering how willing people will be to put them back on. I commend the ministry for, for reinstituting that because we're seeing the cases rise exponentially. We need to curb that down. Masks have been contentious since the beginning of the pandemic. More than a few altercations caught on cell phone cameras. You guys aren't the police. Throughout July and August, some stores have been trying to keep customers' mouths covered while shopping. But without a government mandate, it wasn't easy. Retailers believe this will take the pressure off employees forced to deal with aggressive behavior. It's ultimately about the health and safety of our employees and the health and safety of our customers. And unfortunately, we did see quite a wide and, and fairly rapid drop-off of mask wearing after the government changed its health order. The union representing grocery store workers equally pleased with the announcement. The other thing that really came to our members' attention is they were interacting with people who were unmasked, who were also getting very close. That added concern and the fact people weren't wearing masks was certainly raising anxiety. Like many of the recent changes announced in BC, mandatory masks, a temporary measure. But considering how effective it was last winter containing cold and flu season, masks might be with us well into 2022. And probably not a surprise for a lot of folks, TransLink is also getting back on board with the mask mandate, Aaron. Yeah, that's right, Chris. TransLink, unlike a lot of places, followed the provincial health recommendations to the letter. July 1st, they went to a masks-recommended policy on board their vehicles. That's going to change tomorrow. Any indoor spaces, stations, buses, trains, all will be masks required, 12 years and up, vaccine status, or whatever your vaccine status is. 
Translink does say it'll take some time to get the signage all altered. So I'm asking for the public's patience riding the bus. No doubt. It always takes that riding the bus. Thanks very much, Aaron. I appreciate <laughs> yes, it, does. it. Also, today's mask, uh, mask announcement extends to passengers on B.C. ferries. Anyone 12 and older will be required to wear a mask in public areas of the ferries and at the terminal. Ferry staff will also be required to be masked. Since the pandemic began, B.C. Ferries crews have been cleaning more often. Physical barriers have been installed to support distancing. And passengers on open decks, at least, have been allowed to remain in their vehicles. Now, parents and students across B.C. know what to expect now when children head back to class. And the key word again is masks. They'll be required once again for teachers, staff and volunteers and students in grades 4 through 12. Richard Zussman goes through the details. The province was expecting this school year to be a near return to normal, but all of that has changed. We recognize that COVID is an ever-changing pandemic that will continue to challenge us this year. With the surge in the Delta variant, the province is bringing back a mask mandate for the school system. All teachers, staff, parents and volunteers will be required to wear their mask in all school settings. Students grade 4 to 12 will be required to mask up. That includes in the classroom. For those kindergarten to grade 3, it's recommended. We'll be watching. Uh, we'll be watching whether uh, influenza comes again this year, whether we have other respiratory viruses that they're starting to see in other places. So these are all things that we are adapting and changing. The rest of the plan is as expected. There will be enhanced cleaning, and everyone in the school system will be expected to do a health check each day. Gone is the cohort system. There are no virtual or online options. Extracurriculars are back. This includes sports, theater, music, and clubs. We are not in the same situation this year as we were heading into last September because we now have safe and effective vaccines that we know protect us from COVID. What will not be required in the classroom? Proof of immunization. The province says they will not be mandating vaccines for those who are eligible 12 plus, as well as adults in the school system, but they will be encouraging people to be immunized. I believe that we should be um, encouraging, making sure it's available, and then looking at what are the, uh, the things that need to be in place to make sure that every adult who can be immunized in a school setting is immunized. The province will be working with schools on vaccination clinics, but no details on exactly how this will look. We'll be working um, as our, our ground game, as, as Dr. Ballum calls it, to make sure that we're making a vaccine available to people in those settings. Fraser Health releasing data Tuesday on the Surrey School District. Of all the cases from January to June, 90% of them were contracted outside of school. Of those, 89% were students. The province hoping the school measures will be temporary, but only if COVID cases province-wide go down. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And again, for students, parents and many teachers, there remains one glaring omission from today's announcement, and that's the lack of a vaccine mandate for all school staff. It's a move the BC Teachers Federation says it wouldn't oppose, and Grace Key shows us why that mandate is not being put into place. 
When teachers head back to school, like everyone else, they'll be required to show proof of vaccination if they want to go to a restaurant or watch a movie, but not when they head back to the classroom. The BCTF says it's not opposed to mandatory vaccinations for teachers. We would need to see the details of any plan, of course. It's our obligation to ensure our members' privacy rights rights are protected. And also that there are accommodations made for those teachers that would have exemptions. It's unclear how many teachers are unvaccinated, but the provincial health officer says her decision not to require teacher vaccinations is based on risk. It's proportional to the risk. And we know that uh, schools are a safe setting, that uh, the risk of transmission in the school settings is actually very low, even in the absence of vaccines last year. With the Delta variant at play, the BCTF wants to see more safeguards, including mandatory masks for grades K-3, to an update on building ventilation, a plan for mandatory testing and vaccination clinics at schools. What's been hap- happening to target the 12 to 17-year-olds, right now the vaccine, the full vaccination rates for that age range really lags behind the general public. And so we need to see vaccination clinics right now set up to target that age range. Surrey's Parent Advisory Council echoes the same concerns. Surrey was one of the harder hit districts when it came to COVID exposures last fall and parents don't want to repeat. They want to know how the communication is going to be dealt with. They want to know, is it going, are they going to be proactive this time instead of being reactive to everything that was going on? You know, and, and of course, they're worried about the air quality in schools. They're worried about, you know, the hand like the hand washing stations and portables not having any of those. In a couple of weeks, students will be heading back to school and time will tell if these safety measures will be enough for the new Delta variant. Grace Key, Global News. And if you're curious about post-secondary schools, masks will also be mandatory there, but there are still a lot of questions about vaccination rules at those institutions and which policies schools can independently implement. Amadagahi has more on some of the confusion and concern from students. With just two weeks until the start of the fall semester, university campuses are looking a lot more active than this time last year. The difference is perhaps vaccinations and the return of in-person learning. So when the province announced the measures now in place to keep students at BC universities safe, concerning to many, was the decision not to require proof of vaccination to enter the classroom or lecture hall. We believe that the decision made by the PHO today does not go far enough to address the very real concerns around safety that students have. While the BC vaccine card for accessing gyms, restaurants, indoor events and living on campus will still apply, it just won't be necessary for in-person learning. Here's why. We know that the in-classroom setting is not the risky setting. And it's incredibly important that we don't put barriers in place for people receiving education. Those opposing that decision are of the opposite point of view. I don't think that that's the right lens we should be looking at. I think it makes for an excellent soundbite for the public health officer, but it's it's misplaced. And we shouldn't um, make health risk a barrier to education. We shouldn't have people deciding between their health and their education. Not wanting to mandate vaccines for students in terms of creating additional barriers to post-secondary education is not a decision 
that is appropriate for the provincial health officer to be making. I mean, that's more of a political decision. And if it were up to these students. Because the goal is like public health and public safety, it makes sense for the university. It becomes more safe environment for us as a student. And I feel also more safe inside of the classroom. I'm from Ontario and like a lot of the Ontario schools are doing that right now. On Tuesday, Carleton University in Ottawa joined the list of many Canadian institutions requiring all students and staff to be vaccinated. But at least for now in BC, it doesn't appear that universities can go above public health and issue their own vaccine policy for students. Emadagahi, Global News. So why are we doing this? Well, let's take a look at the COVID-19 numbers for the past 24 hours. We have 641 new cases with 5,357 active cases in BC. 138 people are in hospital, 78 of those in the ICU. Thankfully, we have no new deaths to report today. And on the vaccination front, 75.1% of people 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. And Keith, you've got some interesting data um, that shows us if the decision by the province to require vaccine passports is encouraging more people to get the shot. What do the numbers show us? Yeah, I thought it'd be illustrated to take a look at the registrations of people who are registering to get the first dose and compare them today to what the similar number was, or the case number was a week ago today, when there was no uh, need for vaccination passports. Clearly they are now, and there's been a big jump in registrations in just compared to last week. Take a look at this. Uh, more than double the number today, almost 9,000 registrations compared to a little more than 3,200 this day a week ago. Interestingly enough, look at the jump in young people under the age of 40. 71% there of the cases are under 40 compared to 64% last week. So this is the biggest jump we've seen in quite some time for first doses, the biggest number of registrations for quite some time. Clearly, I think in response to now the requirement to be vaccinated, if you want to get into your favorite restaurant, your favorite pub or, or, or Lions game or Canucks game, and clearly the people under 40, I think, have realized that they do have the lowest vaccination rates compared to other age groups around 70, late high 70%, low 80% for first doses. And again, those numbers are going to start to climb now. We're going to be taking a look at this on a daily or every few days basis because I think you're going to see people clamoring to get a first dose now. Now that they realize the ramifications of not being vaccinated, you're going to be, have to cut out so much out of your life. And I think a lot of people just simply don't want to do that. And we've got close to 700,000 people in BC that we still need to, to get yep, vaccinated. More than that. Right? More, yep, than more than, than 760,000, but that number is going to start going down. Yeah. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Appreciate that. Relief now for several residents in the path of a new fire in West Kelowna. And our first look at the devastation from the White Rock Lake fire. And the agonizing call firefighters had to make on the ground there. That's next on the News Hour. Our resident musician and historian Squire Barnes looks back at the beating heart of the Rolling Stones after the death of drummer Charlie Watts coming up on the News Hour. Also tonight, the legendary Sick Riders accomplish an epic 22-day ride despite a couple of wrong turns, but we'll show you what happened a little later. Right now, though, several people living in West Kelowna are feeling relieved after being forced to flee their homes because of a new wildfire. An evacuation order is still in effect for some properties on Bear Creek Road north of Parkinson Road, but those living in the Saleview Bay subdivision can go home. They've got to be ready to leave, though. Exactly how many properties are affected isn't quite clear. 
Crews say the fire broke out this morning around Westside Road near Saleview Bay when a tree toppled onto some power lines. The fire is three hectares now, but crews are making progress against it. Now, for the heroes battling B.C.'s wildfires, it's been a tougher season than normal. The COVID-19 pandemic and historic heat wave and limited help available from outside the province, all combining to make it particularly stressful. But as John Waugh reports, when they're not on the front lines, firefighters are getting more support than ever before. It seems like a never-ending slog in steel-toe boots that's left BC wildfire crews on the verge of collapse. With that increased fatigue, we're starting to see more uh, safety uh, concerns come forward. The marathon wildfire season is no doubt taking its toll on the men and women in red. So back at camp, the focus is on protecting their mental and physical well-being so they can continue the fight on the fire line. You're always going, especially now where some crews are four or five deployments, two-week deployments in, and it's uh, definitely difficult to, to try to find the time to take care of yourself. I switch hands quite a bit, um, depending on slope, terrain. That's when Arthur Andrew saw a unique opportunity to combine his experience as a firefighter and athletic therapist, offering treatment in order to prevent the smaller injuries from flaring up. The longer the seasons go on and the, the mental and physical stress add up, uh, that's when fatigue sets in and that's when you're more at risk too. when those trips and slips they turn into falls. Just to show you what wildfire crews are up against. There are currently more than 1500 wildfires burning across this province. Including international help. There are just over 4000 personnel working to fight back the flames. So with an average of less than three firefighters for every wildfire, you can see why every person counts. We've been working really hard to implement resources available to all of our staff to ensure that they can kind of stay on top of their fatigue levels and, and manage their, their mental well-being. And seeing what's at stake has added to the overall stress of the job. But having mental health supports on site is allowing a group that might otherwise grin and bear it to instead share the burden. We are seeing that culture shift. We're seeing the conversations happen more and more. While crews will continue to come back from the fire line exhausted, the work being done at camp is to keep the mental and physical fatigue contained. John Hua, Global News, Kamloops. The White Rock Lake fire is still one of the biggest at a whopping 800 square kilometers, and it's still preventing those living in more than 1,300 properties from going home while hundreds of others remain on alert. Today, we're getting our first look on the ground at the devastation caused when flames ripped through that community along West Side Road. Global's Jules Knox was there. It's hard to see it firsthand. More than 70 homes reduced to rubble. Cars burned out. Everyday items, now just charred remains. That came through, uh, creating its own its own wind, its own energy, and it burned very, very hot. The White Rock Lake wildfire blazing a path of destruction through properties in the Estamont and Killiney Beach areas. And for the people who lived here, mementos lost and their future changed. These people are grieving um, and they would go through all, the, all of the emotions that you do when you're grieving. When the fire roared through here with rank five and six fire behavior, firefighters had to triage homes, making the difficult decision on which ones to try to save. In this case, you just have too many homes on fire. 
Um, so you have to go after the ones that you can save, and that's what fire crews did that night. And while dozens of homes were lost, officials say 1,400 were saved. And many of these houses appear perfectly preserved next to places where now only the foundation remains. I've talked to some of the people that have lost uh, their homes, and uh, on the by and by, most people are planning to rebuild. On Monday, people with significantly damaged properties near Westside Road were taken on a brief tour. But there's no word on when they, or others, will be able to return. Officials say it's still too dangerous. There's active fire, there's uh, danger trees, there's unstable soil, power lines down. It's, it's a whole lot of, lot of things. And while residents are hoping that the damage from this blaze has already been done, officials say they are bracing for an increase in fire activity as they expect warmer temperatures and gusting winds throughout the week. Jules Knox, Global News, near Killiney Beach. Up next, a plea deal in a case of immigration fraud. The Okanagan businessman caught up in a scheme that worked for a while until Canada Border Services broke it up. And in sports, getting to know Gall, the Whitecaps' new breakout star. A little bit busy over here at the Knight Street Bridge after clearing a crash southbound at the north end. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $20 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Knight Street Bridge. Unbelievable scene in New York City. Events that shocked us. Secret data collection. Technology that changed us. I think it's fake news. It was fake news. A possible epidemic. Disruption. 20 years of Global National. Friday, September 10th at 10 on Global. Vancouver police are investigating a seemingly random assault on two people near Southwest Marine Drive. They now have a suspect in custody. But as Romina Dea reports, police are still sounding the alarm about a rise of unprovoked assaults in the city. It was a random attack by a stranger. The two male victims, 37 and 65 years old, were violently assaulted at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Marpole Monday. Vancouver police say the suspect approached the younger man and punched him in the face for no reason. The suspect then followed the older victim, punched him in the head and wrestled him to the ground. Both victims suffered minor injuries. The VPD say random attacks are up significantly across the city in recent weeks. Assaults and sex assaults by strangers more aggressive and blatant, according to victims' advocates. In many cases, police are dealing with repeat offenders with complex mental health and addictions issues. It is a common frustration that we hear um, where there's a perception that there are no consequences. We gather all of the evidence. Um, we present the evidence to Crown Council. We don't necessarily have control over um, what happens once a person is charged and enters into the criminal justice system. In the most recent attack in Marpole Monday, police say the 37-year-old suspect has a violent history. He was taken to jail. Assault charges are pending. Ramina Dea, Global News. A Penticton-based rentals and development company has pleaded guilty to six federal immigration charges as part of a plea deal that will see charges dropped against the corporation's owner. The case came about after a major investigation by the Canada Border Services Agency into a province-wide immigration fraud network. Global Shelby Tom has the details. 
We caught up with well-known Penticton businessman Paul Singla at his home, which doubled as an office, when the property was raided by Canada Border Services agents in 2018. Now his company has pleaded guilty to immigration fraud as part of a plea deal that will see charges dropped against Singla himself. Singla Brothers Holdings admitted to six counts of aiding people to misrepresent or withhold facts on immigration applications, offenses under the Federal Immigration and Refugee Protection Act. Each count carries with it a maximum penalty of $100,000 or five years in prison. Singla Brothers has been taken advantage of by a fraud artist, just like intended immigrants have been taken advantage of by a fraud artist. Singla's lawyer says the company was duped by someone Singla trusted to unknowingly participate in the fraud scheme and didn't profit from it. You can sign a document not knowing that it's false. The fraud involved applications for labor market impact assessments required for employers to hire temporary foreign workers. Some people came and obtain status in Canada as a result of false representations made to the immigration people. And Singla Brothers was unfortunately a part of some of those false representations. Whether or not those workers have been deported, the CBSA won't say. Another couple of weeks of this weather, uh, it'd be just beautiful. Randy Tour, the owner of Desert Hills Estate Winery and a former Oliver Town Council member, was also charged in the probe. He's due back in court on November 4th. Four other business people from the Lower Mainland are also accused in the scam. As for Singla, the prosecution service says charges against him will be stayed at the conclusion of the corporation's sentencing. Defense expects a fine will be levied. Shelby Tom, Global News. Up next, an emergency meeting of the G7. We will continue uh, to put pressure on the Taliban. How Afghanistan became a central issue on the federal campaign trail. And later, the beat goes on for the Wembley Whammer. Drummer Charlie Watts, dead at 80. Good evening. Traffic is nice and steady in both directions now after a very busy commute at the Portman Bridge. Still seeing some delays eastbound on Highway 1 through the Burnaby Lake stretch at the usual merge points. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Portman Bridge. The heads of the G7 nations held an urgent meeting to discuss Afghanistan and the humanitarian crisis is now taking center stage in Canada's election campaign with Justin Trudeau being criticized over his handling of it and his popularity dropping in the polls. Global's Miranda Ann Thistle has more on the close race and the promises being made by each party. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau was forced to pause his campaigning to virtually attend an emergency G7 meeting on the crisis in Afghanistan. We will continue uh, to put pressure on the Taliban to allow people to leave the country in safety. We will continue uh, to ensure that we're doing everything we can uh, to get them to respect uh, uh, human rights and give opportunities to all Afghans. This renewed commitment comes as U.S. President Joe Biden says he will not extend the August 31st deadline to remove American troops from Afghanistan. And 
it's unclear if Canada will be able to. As a Taliban spokesperson says, the deadline is firm. The situation has been front and centre on the campaign trail, with many questioning Trudeau's decision to call the election on the same day Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. Ipsos polling done exclusively for Global News shows the Liberal leader's popularity has dropped significantly, leaving his party neck and neck with the Tories. So no more blind bidding. No more foreign wealth being parked in homes. At a campaign stop in Hamilton, a heckler accuses Trudeau of not addressing the housing crisis sooner as Prime Minister. The interruption happening during the Liberals' unveiling of a plan worth billions of dollars to cool the red-hot housing market. Proposed measures include cracking down on predatory speculative practices like blind bidding, support for first-time homebuyers, and the launch of a rent-to-own program. Polling also suggests the Conservatives now have the lead in voter-rich Ontario. Party leader Erin O'Toole is capitalizing on that, with a pitch to working-class voters and those set to retire. We will prevent executives from paying themselves large bonuses while managing a company going through restructuring if the pension isn't properly funded. West of Toronto, Mississauga, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is vowing to put an end to for-profit long-term care homes, which were among those that saw the most outbreaks and deaths during the pandemic. We want to use the same tools that we used with the Canada Health Act to ensure that our dollars that go towards the care of our loved ones go towards their care and don't go towards enriching a company. Miranda Anthesol, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, London Drugs is making vaccinations mandatory for its employees beginning November 1st. The company says the new policy will ensure a safer environment for staff and customers. London Drugs provided notice of the change to its employees and will introduce procedures on achieving the goal of a fully vaccinated workforce. Employees who cannot be vaccinated for medical reasons or legal grounds will be accommodated but will be required to be tested. And another inspiring milestone in the long road to recovery for one of the victims of the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. Former Broncos player Ryan Strashnitsky posted this video today of him taking his first steps with a walker since the 2018 crash that left him paralyzed from the chest down. In 2019, Strashnitsky had an epidural stimulator implanted in his spine, which he says is helping him regain some movement in his legs. In the post, Strashnitsky says he's been trying to move with the walker since he first stood in June and suddenly found a good method today. He says he plans to play sled hockey again this winter. And we wish him all the luck in the world. Up next, a cross-country ride with some unexpected twists and turns. As we went, you know, the whole thing kind of snowballed. The legendary sick riders complete an epic adventure for charity. And the master of elegant simplicity, as some have called him. Squire adds his drummer's take on Charlie Watts' irreplaceable contributions to the Rolling Stones. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Halloween merchandise is in the stores. The uh, pumpkin spice latte is back at Starbucks now. But we're not done with summer yet, Christy, are we? (laughs) (laughs) 
No, way to fight for it, Chris. I love it. Yeah, so today was definitely chilly. We uh, dropped down to 9 degrees. There were a lot of areas that were close to the freezing mark. Uh, tomorrow or tomorrow morning, overnight tonight, will not be as cold, but it still will be chilly to start with. But at least we're seeing some sunshine during the day, and that's warming things up. Now, when we talk about the forest fire situation, of course, today we had a fire on, um, just um, across the lake from Kelowna. A fire danger rating in that region is still at a moderate to high level. And uh, the BC Wildfire Service today tweeted out a number of times don't forget there is a campfire ban in place still and if you were to be seen with a campfire you'd be charged over a thousand dollars so despite the the blues that you see there do not let down your guard we still have an exceptional drought level all across the region and so we're still definitely concerned we're not out of the woods just yet now we do have some moisture in store for us uh, come Thursday and Friday but very minimal amounts for the interior the bulk of it will be along the coast however at least some cloud cover and cooler conditions will help things. Again, it's Thursday, Friday. In the meantime, though, on Wednesday, we are expecting some sunshine. So Wednesday, the bulk of the moisture will be across the north and central coast. All inland regions, we're talking about sunshine and warmth. And that's the case really across the south coast as well. But the south coast will start to see cloud cover later in the day. But still some warmth in there, certainly. Thursday and Friday, though, those are the two days that we're looking at with cloud and showers. And we'll likely see a high of only 18 degrees on Thursday. So we're talking about four degrees below seasonal for this time of year. So two very chilly days. Uh, and then we are going to come out of it, it looks like Saturday and Sunday. And for the interior, it's those two days as well that we'll watch, be watching for more cloud and uh, cooler conditions. Tonight's central windows weather window is from Summit Lake, which is um, just north of Prince George. Laura McLaren sending this, us this. This is her little guy. They went out for a mountain bike. And I love this shot with him just looking out after he had uh, given out a good ride there. Looks lush and green up there, too. Let's hope it stays that way as well. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, you've probably seen them at some point. Surrey's legendary Sick Riders, a group of motorcycle enthusiasts committed to making a big difference in the community. They just rode across the country raising money for charity. And on tonight's This Is BC, Jay Durant catches up with the group to share the twists and turns of their journey. Just an easy cruise back home in Surrey on this day for the legendary Sick Riders. They are fresh off an epic journey that took them coast to coast across Canada, raising money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. 22 days on the road and close to $35,000 in donations, exceeding all expectations. As we went, you know, the whole thing kind of snowballed. Um, the buildup was that one community did a little bit, the next one topped them, and the third one topped them even more. Most provinces recognize the religious exemption for sick riders to not wear a helmet. We appreciate New Brunswick government giving us the right to wear a turban and ride our bikes in your province. But they were forced to trailer their bikes in Quebec and Saskatchewan. The only other setback was when one member made a wrong turn in Ontario and was gone for five hours. For somehow it took him to the U.S. <laughs> so we're going one way and he's going the other way. I did 1,200 kilometers in a day. And it was almost 15 hours, 15 and a half hours on the saddle just because of my mistake. Some incredible connections were made along the way. They held the sword of the first warrior king of the Sikh empire owned by a billionaire businessman in Calgary. Maharaj Singh apni Karpan. There was a police escort for part of their ride in the Maritimes. Why don't you uh, swap them with your bike? 
<laughs> that would be good. They joined another charity ride outside of Toronto and were honored by local politicians at a pool party in Orangeville. There you go. And in BC, Jackie Andrew of the Little Watt First Nation made them vests to wear in memory of the 215 children whose remains were found at a former Kamloops residential school. So I said, look, can you do something where we can take the memories of the kids that had never had a chance to live a life, to never experience anything? And she said, yeah, no problem. She goes, generally they don't do it, but for you, she will. So to us, it was an honor. It's their first charity ride, but it certainly won't be their last. The legendary sick riders are already making plans for something much bigger next summer. Anybody says, okay, we are riding for this, I'll, I'll ride with them. I'm still around. Yeah. I'll be doing it. I'll always be doing that. Jay Durant, Global News. All right, if you know someone who has a great story like that to tell or something unique to BC that you want to share, email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. What a great ride and a good time and lots of stories. Uh, lots of stories coming up in sports with Squire as well, Squire. That's true. A lot of Whitecaps news today for some reason. But we'll talk with uh, Ryan Gold, who is fast becoming a Whitecap fan favorite. I want to win. I want to play games. I want to help the team um, score goals. He certainly had a big goal in his last game. And every time he's out there, something good seems to happen. Just what they needed. Also coming up, he never missed a beat. The incredible timing of Rolling Stones drummer, Charlie Watts. Squires here with sports and uh, finally an acquisition, a player acquisition that seems to have worked. Well, the Whitecaps were talking about this guy for a while and they were hyping him up. And you know what? In this case, you can believe the hype. There have been a lot of disappointments over the years when it comes to the Vancouver Whitecaps and their highly paid designated players. And while it's too early to say Ryan Gold is one of their best ever, he certainly looks to have the pedigree and the drive to be just that. He's yet to start a game, but coming off the bench, he has been a difference maker, setting up chances for teammates, and as we saw in the Caps game on Saturday against LAFC, scoring on his own chances. Flipped on, there's goal! Yes! On the pitch, Ryan Gold is an attacking midfielder who possesses that killer instinct, but off the pitch, his demeanor is the exact opposite. Gold, one of the nicest guys you'll come across. Ask him about his first goal as a white cap, which was the game winner, and this is the answer you get. Uh, it was nice. Um, I think the most important thing everyone will agree is uh, the three points and managing to get back-to-back victories, but you know, being able to get off the mark um, sooner rather than later was, was a good feeling. There he is. He can play as a 10 in the attacking midfield underneath. Gold is that attacking midfielder the Whitecaps desperately wanted and needed. In his four matches, Ryan showed the technical prowess that drew the interest of Premier League and Portugal clubs before he signed here in Vancouver. It's also what earned him the nickname of Scotland's Mini Messi, a label he's had to live with since his teenage years. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not the... Not my favourite nickname. Um, I've tried to not focus too much on it because if you're comparing yourself to that guy, you're not going to come out ahead. So I've tried not to focus on it, just kind of get on with my own game and um, that's led me here. 
Nobody wants to be compared with with Messi. No, no one. You know, I think. Messi, Maradona, Ronaldo, you don't want to be compared to that. Vancouver appears to be the perfect fit for the 25-year-old. And gold isn't going anywhere soon, at least for the time being. He's signed for this season and two more. Wherever you go, you've got to throw yourself into it and, you know, totally immerse yourself in the culture that you're living in, the lifestyle. Um, so I think that's a very important part to, to be happy and to be successful. Um, so that's definitely something I'm going to be looking forward to. Um, I'm not going to hold back in that sense. So looking forward to all of that. I'm happy to just be Ryan Gold, to be honest. I'm not needing any nicknames. I'm happy to just be Ryan. <laughs> well, Whitecaps are, Whitecap fans are happy he's here. And uh, the Whitecaps did lose midfielder Kyle Alessandre for the rest of the season. He broke his left foot in training, had to undergo surgery to repair it. The surgery was called a success. But he's not going to play until 2022. He was signed by the Whitecaps in March, played in 15 games, 11 times as a starter, hasn't scored a goal for the Caps, but at the age of 22, they feel he's a big part of their future. But he's going to do his rehabbing at home in Brazil. And Alexandre is obviously bad news, but there actually was some good news on the injury front as far as Lucas Cavallini is concerned. Now, they would love to see him out there with Ryan Gold for 90 minutes. He's out right now with a knee sprain that at first the Whitecaps thought might keep him out of the lineup until late September. But the coach says he might be a fast healer. He's, uh, he's getting there and faster than we thought. So in the beginning, there was a certain amount of weeks that they, they spoke about, and it looks like it's going to be faster. Um, but for, for Pacific, for Real Salt Lake, for sure, no. Emirates Mashmeyer in Canada against Switzerland at the uh, Women's World Hockey Championships today. You know this is a game Canada's going to win against the Swiss. Shorthanded goal for Emily Clark after the uh, Blair Turnbull rush ended up being a rebound. one nothing in the second. Then Natalie Spooner, good hand-eye. Deflects in Melody Daou's shot. That made it 3 nothing in the second. Spooner would do it basically again, except this time it wasn't Daou. It was Ellis Shelton's shot she would tip in. So Canada still unbeaten with a 5-0 win over the Swiss. Just like the Blue Jays, the Seattle Mariners are trying to get a wild-card spot in the American League, and they help themselves today. Luis Torrens driving in a couple of runs here to break a 1-1 tie with Oakland in the third inning. That made it 3-1. And then Jared Kelnick would make it 4-1 by scoring Tom Murphy. The uh, Mariners right now two and a half games out of an American League wild-card spot. They haven't made the playoffs, I think, since 2001. That is a long drought. Okay, back to you. Okay, thanks very much, Squire. Don't go away, because Squire will be back with a tribute to the backbone of one of the biggest rock bands in the world, Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts. Rocker Liz Fair called him the master of elegant simplicity, and I think that's a perfect description of Charlie Watts now that he's gone. There's a lot of drummers who have been great. And Charlie Watts isn't flashy like a lot of them, didn't have the big kits like a lot of them, didn't hit as hard, didn't have the heavy foot as a lot of them did. But man, that guy could keep a beat, and he did it for the greatest rock and roll band ever. Charlie Watts was the man who kept time for some of the most timeless musicians we have ever seen. He was the Rolling Stones drummer starting in 1963 
And in an era like the 60s and 70s, when some drummers were huge personalities, Watts was the quiet man with the small drum kit, but with skills that spoke very loudly to fellow musicians, like his bandmate Keith Richards. I mean, I'm the most blessed man in the world. I mean, the first drummer I ever really worked with was Charlie Watts. Charlie Watts, he's one of the greatest drummers in the damn world is ever going to see. His on-stage demeanor matched his life off the stage. He married Shirley Ann Shepard in 1964, and they were only two months from celebrating their 57th anniversary. He was happy to let the other Rolling Stones live the rock star life. Because I'm not really a rock star. I don't, have, I don't have all the trappings of that, really. Having said I've got four vintage cars and can't drive the bloody thing, but still... <laughs> Um, not really. I've never been interested in doing these or being seen. Just over two weeks ago, Charlie Watts said he was recovering from a medical procedure and wouldn't be on the upcoming American tour with the Stones. And he had selected longtime friend Steve Jordan to replace him. Now the question is, will Jordan take Charlie's seat permanently or will the Stones retire the act? Three years ago, Watts said he felt the Rolling Stones could go on without him. I think they could get another drummer. I think they'd get another guitar player. But um, no, I think that Mick and Keith would or could carry on. But without the backbeat of Charlie Watts, the Rolling Stones will never be the same. Of that we can all agree, for sure. Great, great story. Well, he, uh, as I said, he goes down as one of the great drummers in rock and roll history, but he was truly a jazz lover and was a great jazz drummer as well. Always so impeccably dressed as well. <laughs> yes, he was. One of the best dressed men in rock. For sure. Okay, uh, rest in peace, Charlie Watts. Last word on weather, Christy. Sure. So another nice day tomorrow. We're expecting sunshine late in the day, though. We are going to see increasing cloud Thursday, Friday, a little cool and wet, but we should be back to sunshine over the weekend. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. And thank you for watching, everyone. We'll see you back here tomorrow.